Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Fieldhouse Files is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Again, the Pacers are at home three times this week, and that's a great opportunity for you to get to the Fieldhouse and see this group. They're finally healthy. Malcolm Brogdon returning from injury. TJ Warren's there. Sabonis and Turner will get to see more of that pairing, which we haven't been able to see a ton of just yet. So to get in the door at the lowest price possible for any of these games and in the best seats possible, check out Game Time. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. And welcome into another episode of The Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, this week on The Athletic, as you make your trip home or spend additional time with family or want something to escape that time, we're all publishing an all-decade team for, well, the team we cover. It's a fun and interesting exercise, I think, to really think back about the team over these last 10 years and about those players that contributed the most. I made the list for the Pacers, but to discuss my selections in the last decade of Pacers basketball, I'll be joined on this podcast by our columnist, Bob Kravitz. But first, a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, you can do so now at 40% off by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fieldhouse Files. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, as most of you do, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. All right, Kravy. well, let's break it down. The Pacers made the playoffs in nine of the ten years, basically rolled out the ball and won 45 games. They won as many as 56 games during the 2013-14 season. Let's start with this. Overall, how do you feel about the way in which the Pacers have performed uh, and reached the playoffs, had success over these last ten years? Well, I think, you know, given the fact that, uh, you know, you had Paul George uh, basically force his way out of here, um, given that, given the fact that it is a small market, that they they can't get big-name free agents to come here except for David West, and he was coming off of a knee surgery, I think they've they've done quite well, actually. I mean, I think, I think most cities would be perfectly happy with, uh, you know, nine playoff appearances in 10 years. But uh, as we've discussed many times, they've – not been able to take that next step, and that's been a that's been a problem. Yeah, because they've gotten to the playoffs four straight years, but have never advanced past that. Right. And so that's really been the big issue. I know they've talked about not having enough playmakers and not having a balanced team enough, but they did win, you know, forty eight games the last couple of years, but they just haven't had enough to contend in the playoffs. Right, and you know, you look at la- uh, last year, they're on a fifty five to fifty six win pace. 
when uh, Victor Oladipo went down. And you have to think, first of all, they would have had a home court advantage mm-hmm. um, in the first round. And you've got to think that they would have taken care of business there. So, you know, but I mean, you go back to the Frank Vogel days, they they certainly, uh, you know, they got to the uh, uh, Eastern Conference Finals a couple of times and they were able to take those next steps. But in these last couple of years, because of the injury, I think primarily, um, you know, and, and a, a bunch of new guys coming in, they haven't been able to take that next step. I do think this year, um, given the way they've started with with so many injuries, and yet they're you know still what eight and six or eight and seven, I I, I still think this team is going to be really dangerous coming down the stretch with Victor healthy and everybody else. But um, yeah, but we're not talking about this year. We're talking about the last 10. Yeah, and the highlight obviously had to be those two conference finals meetings. And I remember after that first one where they lost, the big thing was the players saying, hey, we're, we were a quarter away. We were five points away. They really felt, I think it was in game six maybe, game seven, like that third quarter really did them in. And they felt they had a real opportunity to knock off LeBron in the Miami Heat. But regardless, those were entertaining and a blast to watch and cover. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I I was in Cleveland back in the days when Michael Jordan was torturing them every year, including, you know, the shot that uh, Jordan hit over Craig Elo in the playoffs in Richfield, Ohio. I was there and I'll never forget it. Uh, Seemed like he hung there for about 10 seconds over (laughs) Elo to make that shot. But yeah, no, they, they they had teams. I mean, you look at how close they came against LeBron. And I remember that game six. That was after Dwayne Wade was, you know, had gone south, and he went to mm-hmm. uh, talk with uh, with uh, Tom Crean. Yeah, spent a day down Marquette. there in Bloomington. Yeah, so uh, uh, you know that that third quarter absolutely annihilated them. And, and you you look at LeBron uh, in the playoffs. What was it two years ago when he hits the shot at the buzzer and goes crazy in game in game seven early on and the goaltending issue that the team and that the franchise still brings up right right yeah absolutely in fact uh it's there is talk about goga batadze and how much he knows about the Pacers. i guess one of the first things he said to kevin pritchard over lunch one day was boy that was a goaltend <laughs> <laughs> they should have called that so they they've been close and you, you look at a lot of other small market franchises. I mean, these guys are have done more than than most other franchises who are in the same general uh, economic place that they are. Yeah, and that's a good point because year after year, they're among the best, I think, at maximizing their payroll. They're frequently a low-spending team, and yet they have maximized their returns in many of these last few years, specifically that 2017-18 season. That was Oladipo and Sabonis' first season with the franchise, and I think their ability to do that, maximize the value they get for what they spend, speaks to the type of player that they covet. And it speaks a lot to the coaching staff, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you've had Dan Burke there who's, you know, you can't kill off Dan Burke. You know, you could change 47 different coaches <laughs> and Dan Burke will still be there. But they've they've got really good coaching staff. Um, they bring in the right kinds of guys, generally speaking, you know, with with some notable exceptions like uh, like Tyreek, uh, Tyreek Evans. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, but but generally speaking, they bring in guys. You look at Justin Holiday and what he's done this year. Um, 
you know, I mean, it's an entirely new team, and yet they seem like the Indiana Pacers that we've watched here for the last decade. And this decade really began with a transition to a new coach, and you brought up coaching. I'll still remember watching on TV the transition, essentially, where Jim O'Brien got ejected during a game in Chicago. John Gray, the head of security, walked him off the court, and that was his last appearance as a Pacers coach. And, of course, he was he is a mentor for Frank Vogel. They seamlessly made that transition. And then I think the good thing from there was Frank Vogel instilled positivity with this locker room, and then they made steady progress every year. They went to the first round of the playoffs that year, the semis the next, and then the conference finals those next two years. We're finding out now uh, with the Lakers. Now, granted, he's got two of the greatest players on the planet. We're, re- <laughs> right. we're really seeing what a terrific coach this guy is, you know. And, um, you know, look, I remember writing a column uh, about a week before O'Brien got let go saying, they, you know, and I don't do this very frequently, but I said, this guy's got to go, um, you know, and Frank Vogel not only brought in positivity, but he started playing the young players. He started playing the Paul Georges and the, and, and the Roy Hibberts yep. and people like that. And I think that, it, you know, was an infusion uh, of a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good play, a lot of, uh, a lot of spirit. And, you know, they, they, you know, they, they got to the playoffs. Uh, he turned them around. They got to the playoffs. As he promised, too, if you remember, one of the first things he said was, we're going to yes. be a playoff team. I believe we'll be in the playoffs. Look look out. One of my favorite moments from Frank Vogel, if I can go off on a little bit of a tangent, it was we were in Chicago, and we are at the shoot-around. I believe it was game four or five. I, I can't remember. Probably, probably four. Uh, no, five. Five. We're back in Chicago. And they're up uh, three, three to one. And Frank says be, during the shoot around, says whoever wins this game will win the series. <laughs> I like <laughs> I thought, it. That's bold. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's pretty ballsy right there. And they played well, but uh, you know, you know, I remember Tyler Hansbro absolutely beating up Carlos Boozer, and I was like, what the hell is going on here? But. Uh, Derek Rose was special that year, and, and ultimately they won that series. Frank's the second winningest coach in franchise history behind Slick Leonard. He brought the defense, the verticality, kind of started the togetherness movement. But now we've been under Nate McMillan, the Pacers have, over those last four years, and I think that's notable, although Larry Bird's gone right, Krabby. But Larry always said coaches kind of wear out their welcome after three years, and this right now is year four for Nate, which I think is notable. Yeah, well, Larry's not in charge anymore, so I don't think that uh, Nate has to worry. Uh, the really, you know, I I have never agreed with Larry on that. Agreed, yeah. Uh, uh, I think that that, yeah, do coaches lose some of their edge after a few years of players? Sure, but there's so much turnover on rosters nowadays uh, that you know his voice is going to be fresh for some of those guys who they 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 brought in. So. No, I, I, I do think, uh, you know, Nate has been a really solid coach. Um, I thought they underachieved a little bit his first year. But since then, I think he's done a really fine job. Like I say, he's got a terrific coaching staff. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit, you know, I'm one of the ones, I'll still say this, they never should have fired Frank Vogel in the first place. And I was surprised when they brought Nate in because they – said they wanted to be kind of the Golden State Warriors of the East. And you look at Nate's background, and that's not really what he does. 
That wasn't who he was as a player. That's not who he was uh, as a coach in, in previous stops and, you know, Portland and whatnot. So I, uh, I was a little uh, taken aback by that, but I think he's shown that he's a really good guy for this particular franchise. Yeah, I think we all felt that way at the time because what Frank had done over the last four or five years and being the second winningest coach and continuing on. And and to your point on the changeover, Miles Turner is the only one still on the Pacers roster past those three years since McMillan took over. So that line of thinking doesn't even apply anymore. It's not. And, and look, you know, I mean, how many coaches have been in place? You know, you look at Popovich, you look at Carlisle. Spolstra. Who Larry Bird got rid of Spolstra? I mean, you go yeah. around the league, and granted, you know, a lot a lot of places are changing up, but uh, you know, change up relatively quickly. But the really successful franchises tend to stay with the same guy, and uh, you know, I, I think if you're a good coach, you never you never hear this in football. You never hear well, Bill Belichick. Uh, you know, his voice got stale after three years. No, I mean, a great coach is a great coach. And all players want to know is, can this guy make me better? And can can this guy help me win? And I thought that Frank Vogel was one of those guys. And I, I, you know, I don't think that goes away after three years. I don't know about you, but I am so ready for Thursday. I'm talking about turkey, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese, dinner rolls. I'm not thinking ahead to pumpkin pie. I can do without that. But my favorite is three huge heaping helpings of football. That's my kind of feast. And to top it all off is all the action you can get betting on the games thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook. You can take advantage of special Thanksgiving offers all day on Thursday. Take a listen to just some of the offers DraftKings has going on. Before kickoff, place a bet on the winner of any Thanksgiving football game, and DraftKings will give you a free $5 bet. Plus, during the game, place a $5 in-game flash bet, and DraftKings will give you another free $5 bet. Just check out the Promos tab after sign-up to get all the details and see what else DraftKings has to offer. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use codes FAST when you sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. Don't forget that's code FAST for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So what I sought out to do was kind of recognize what the Pacers as a team, as a franchise, and then as individuals have done over the last decade. And so I broke mm-hmm. it down into two teams, Krabby. A first team, as you would expect. Second team, I didn't necessarily plan to do guards, forwards. I just wanted the top five, although it ended up essentially being that way. Um, okay. But let's let's first break down the first team. I went with Victor Oladipo, Paul George, and Danny Granger. Victor, I hesitated briefly only because of a short amount of time, but he has made such an impact. There's no way you can tell this decade without Victor, and that's that's another way, um, a criteria I used for forming this team. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and clearly, clearly to me, he's the second best player they've had in the decade. Mm-hmm. Feel free to disagree, but I, mean, I think to me, Paul George is a one, and and and, uh, and I think Oladipo is number two. But I think that could change over time. Yeah, no, he he's definitely the second best player, and I and then who knows? Just because of his injury, the way he was tracking was really interesting, though. And then Paul, things just sputtered a little bit there uh, late with that relationship. He wanted out. 
he, I think he didn't exactly even know what he wanted. I think looking back when we talk about this era, the thing we're going to mention is those conference finals games and Paul George wanting out. Him wanting to right. move on and go back home because that changed everything about the last three or four years. Yeah, and you know, the thing about Paul George, people say, oh, he wasn't clutch, he wasn't this, he wasn't that. And that's, you know, it's like when you get a divorce, all of a sudden, you know, you got <laughs> terrible things to say about your ex-wife. Um, not that either one of us would know anything about that. But, no, I look, I remember that series against Toronto. In, in Frank, I think it was Frank Vogel's final year uh, when they took him to seven games. I mean, Paul, Paul George was a terrific alpha dog in the playoffs. Terrific. And, you know, I, you know, he gave this franchise everything he could give it on the court. Um, it's just, you know, Paul's problem was that he wants to be loved by everybody, you know, and he wants to tell everybody what they want to hear. So I think that's why he said the things he said at that softball game mm-hmm. and left everybody with the impression that he was going to stay. But that's Paul. Paul is, uh, Again, he just like he just wants to be loved, and uh, is that so wrong? <laughs> that was the worst thing he did, though, was come out and say, you know, I would love nothing more in my life and my career, professional career to bring Indy, a place I love and have enjoyed playing its first championship. Yeah, and then I, I, I think it was three days later. Miller. Right, yeah. right. Although I will say the interesting thing, Krabby, was this was something Mark Monteith and I tracked with him over the last his last several years was how he, his records and numbers matched up and you know there was a free throw percentage that was similar I will say he distanced himself a little bit from Reggie in the statistics and all franchise type guy conversation in his last couple of years that was not a conversation we had very often no no I uh, to me you know I wasn't here through all of Reggie's great years Uh, I got here in 2000 so obviously I saw some good years but uh, to me Paul George could do things and I realize Reggie's a hall of famer if I had to start a franchise, I'd probably go with Paul over over Reggie, and that may seem absurd. But I just think that Paul can do so many more things than Reggie could. I mean, a wonderful defensive player, uh, a guy who get his get his own. Uh, I, I just think Paul, you know, in the in their NBA history. Yeah. And you tell me if I'm wrong, because uh, my my his my uh, memory is faulty. I think he's the best nat- raw player they've they've had. I think so. I mean, he was easily tracking to be the best player in franchise history if if he continued on down the line. And if you look at it, what he's done these last couple of years after a full recovery from his injury, he's right there. He's I'm probably the second best two way player in the league. He's become an outstanding three point shooter in addition to everything else he does. Um, was in a the late stages conversation for defensive player of the year that's what puts him over the top of a guy like Reggie I think is he's more of a complete player whereas Reggie just did uh, among the things he did well he killed it when it came to three-point shooting which he would love to be playing right now right because you could really be maximizing that ability oh absolutely yeah I mean no I I think that uh you know I mean look you know I think Paul George if he continues to track the way he's tracking is a hall of fame player. If he can, if he can produce for another, you know, number of years, I, I think he's going to have the kinds of numbers. I think what might hurt him is that he's jumped around a little bit, you know, now obviously he seems to have found a he's, home in LA. Yeah. He's with, in the spotlight with, now though, in LA. In the spotlight. And, that helps. and, and, and if, if they're able to do 
the things that they hope they can do as a team, I think that's going to put put him even more in the spotlight um, because look, a lot of the way a lot of the way we perceive players is based on what we see in the postseason. Yeah, I, I think he's easily trending towards that Hall of Fame type career, six time All Star, four time sure. All NBA type guy. When you think of Danny Granger, Crabby, what comes to mind? Because for me, he's a guy that I think really maximized what he could do without much around him, and those were some of the worst years in franchise history. That's what I think about what he was able to accomplish. It was very little, but that's because he didn't have much else to work with. He didn't, and the thing you always question with, with Danny, I, look, he was a terrific player, and I, they, you know, they, they got him later in the draft, which is, you know, is an amazing uh, pickup for them, but Every bad team has one guy who scores all the points. So that, I think that's going to be the knock on him that he got points with a bad team. But it but shouldn't be, though, because it, it, he's a better player be. than that. Yeah, it, I, I agree. I agree. I, I was getting to that. Uh, I think you could have put him with any team in the league, good, bad, or indifferent, and he would have been a 20-point-per-game guy, a 22-point-per-game guy. Um, he, was, he was just with a, you know, like a professional scorer. He just had ways to to fill it up, and uh, a good guy, a really good locker room guy, and uh, yeah, I, I I think he's he's got to be. He was Paul George before Paul George. That's the way I look at him. Yeah, hundred percent. And they built it that friendship, and, and things worked out out of that. But I I also wonder, Krabby, how much the wear and tear of being the guy negatively impacted him in his career. It wasn't his play that drove him out of the league ultimately. It was his injuries. It was his calves and his poor knees as well. Yeah, I mean, he had he carried this franchise for a number of years uh, during the, some very lean, lean times, sort of the, you know, the post, the post brawl. Absolutely, uh, the dark days. You know, yeah. the, 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 uh, the fallout from that. And all they had, was Danny Granger. So, yeah, a really fine player on a bad team. But as we were saying, I think he would have been good with any team. I think he's just a guy who knows how to score. And it is a shame that he, he didn't get more time in the league, that he, uh, you know, it was a cut, cut short a little bit, I think, by those injuries. Let's keep it moving here uh, with the first team rounding it out. Uh, the backbone, David West. And then a considered center spot, but I couldn't go away from Roy Hibbert. The way in which he played defense where he really established verticality right across the league and just how he was that last line of defense for the Pacers for all those years. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. David West was absolutely – I mean, he is – I've covered sports for a long, long, long time. He – to me, is the best leader uh, I have ever seen uh, uh, on a team. And, you know, I mean, I really right up there with, with Peyton. Uh, I just think that he had complete control of that locker room. He was a wonderful player. Um, as far as Roy goes, yeah, I think Roy changed the way the game was played a little bit. The problem with Roy, and he certainly had his moments, and I'm not disputing that he belongs on your list, is that the game changed around him. You know, the game became a lot more drive and kick and three-pointers and spreading the floor. And all of a sudden, he found himself being, he was a dinosaur. He became a dinosaur and moved like one at Before times. he was uh, 30 years old. That's the most staggering part. Before he was 30 part. years old. Yeah. If, if this was still the 1970s or 80s, especially the 80s when things were so physical, 
I really think Roy might still be playing rather than coaching. Yeah, he was never going to adapt and, and become that three-point shooter that we see Miles Turner, even Domas, trying to be now. But the big thing with him was he was just he just owned the rim. I mean, his rim protection was outstanding um, across the league. And I know he doesn't like the the lack of respect. He had a couple of those memorable moments talking about that at the podium, right, that we all remember. But otherwise, uh, yeah. he became an outstanding rim protector and defender. Well, none of us will ever forget. Well, he had the... The great series against uh, was Miami, right? Where Miami we, where... couldn't defend him. Remember, they brought in Greg Oden for a Greg sequence Oden. just to see if they could throw him on him. Um, they had Birdman for a time. Udonis Haslam. <laughs> right, right. They, they couldn't stop him. And, uh, and the block on Carmelo Anthony uh, against the Knicks, I forget what year it was because they all run together for me at this point in my, my old age. But... Uh, the block on Carmelo Anthony to me was a signature moment in that playoff run. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. That changed everything in terms of that series, and I think that is his signature moment that we'll remember him for. I'll remember his verticality, something he worked hard with with Frank Vogel, and then that signature shot. That was just impressive. A- absolutely, absolutely. Right. No, he, Roy, Roy, uh, Roy was just uh, he just came along at the wrong time. But he was a he was a wonderful player in his time, and now he's a player development coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. So isn't that, that something? Ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out. From the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear from brands like Supreme, Bape, Palace, and Kith. With StockX, it's all about transparency, so now you can shop smarter than ever using real-time market data for everything on the site. Rest easy knowing you'll never overpay shopping on StockX. Want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com forward slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com forward slash bball. Check it out today. All right, so we agreed on the first team. Now let's run down my second team. I have George Hill, Darren Callison, and Lance Stevenson. I like George Hill as a player. I always have. But that tells you something about the state, state of point guard play in Indiana. That the past decade, George Hill is has been, I think, far and away their best their best point guard. And I think that's going to change now with Malcolm Brogdon. But who are your options there? <laughs> <laughs> to me, there wasn't an obvious guy. But again, going back to the team's history, Lance had such an impact positively, negatively. And I don't think, again, you can tell this decade story without mentioning Lance's, all the things that were involved here with him. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of it, was antics and how much of it was his actual play. But, you know, I mean, first of all, it tells you that, you know, they haven't had overwhelmingly great talent mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. over the last decade, but they've somehow made a, made a, a go at it, you know. And uh, I like Darren Collison. I thought he was always underrated. I always wished he would have been more aggressive and look for his shots. Um, and when he did, he was terrific. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess you put Lance in there for lack of a better alternative. If there really um, aren't there really aren't good ones, Cravy. As, no, I'm, as I mean, I'm going through the decades, I mean, you could guys that play decent amount of minutes. You're talking about AJ Price. You're talking even, about DJ no, Augustine. Even, 
you're hurting me. Yeah. You're hurting my ears. That's that's no. how maybe that is the key point in all this decade, Krabby, is that through it all, as they tried to build up depth, that they tried to build a contending type team, the results of the second team that we're listing here tells it all. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, you know, like with, with Lance, I mean, Lance brought an unmistakable edge. Sometimes it was weird. Sometimes, a lot of times, it was completely over the top. But remind me, what year was it when he came in? I think it was in, I think it was uh, McMillan's first year. They brought, they brought Lance in for the last six games or so, and they made the playoffs, I think, largely because of Lance and the impact he had on and off the floor. Um, but yeah, he was, I mean, he never backed down and, you know, he didn't care that he was playing for a small market, you know, Indiana, he, he just felt he, he was a unique dude. And, uh, now, uh, they're finding that out in China, I guess. Yeah, that's a good, hey, there's a, there's a story for you. See if you can put that on the budget, go over to China <laughs> and do, do the ultimate Lance Stevenson in China story. Honestly, there would be so much to that. It might be a three-part series because you yeah. could do him off the court. You could do what do his teammates think about him and how does the game turn? Like, yeah, there's a lot there. And good memory, yeah. it was 2016-17 that the, the Pacers brought him on. And then the big thing I touched on, too, in this story, Kravi, is think back at the big decision that he made turning down the $44 million extension. He hasn't so earned stupid. that much in his entire career. So stupid. And I remember talking to Larry Bird. I remember I was on a beach in uh, New Jersey, and I called uh, Larry. Uh, you know, I called him earlier in the day, and he called me back, and I'm, I'm talking to him while I'm on the beach. And, <laughs> and he was so upset. He just couldn't understand why, why Lance made the decision that he made. Because let's face it, the only place in the NBA that really was a home for him was here in Indiana. I mean, they got, they understood him. They allowed him to be who he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he, that was a really bad decision that he made and the people around him made. If he had stayed here, I think he would have had a much better career. Grew up here, matured here, and like you said, they understood him here. So they accepted his faults as, as well as looked forward to you know some of the creativity he did. Um, I should creativity. add, yeah, I, I should add some of the other players I could substitute in there. I'm not restricted to guards or forwards, whatever. Uh, you could do a Jan Mahimi. I did not include Boyan on my list. You could throw him mm. in there. Um, mm. CJ Miles, okay. Jeff Teague. Those are some names, though, fans could keep in mind if you're creating your own list at home. Right. So the players rounding out my second team are glue guy Thad Young and then Miles Turner. And with Thad, he made such an impact both on and off the court. Um, I know the Pacers hated He, he, he was a modern-day David West. Correct, as yeah. Far as, yeah. as far as being the leader in, in the room and on the court, Thad Young was that guy. Absolute glue guy. And then you hate to see him go, but it made sense if they were going to make this Sabonis and Turner pairing work because the money, Absolutely. money wise, and then yeah, and then Miles Turner, he's the longest tenured Pacer currently in his fifth year. I did hesitate because you could make the argument between him and or Sabonis, but I think to this point, Turner has accomplished more and contributed more on the court. Yeah, I think that when we talk about the next decade, um, I think Sabonis might overtake him. It's a possibility, uh, assuming they they stay with both. I think he's going to put up better numbers. I think 
Miles is obviously a, a far superior rim protector and defensive player in general, but uh, I, I'm I'm on board with the, with that group. So then rounding it out, I did a couple other things. My honorable mentions, Boyan Bogdanovich and Domas. Yes. And then I wanted a special category for the others, the guys that at least are memorable to us for other reasons. So I made captains, Al Jefferson and C.J. Miles. Yeah, both. Uh, well, first of all, from a totally selfish point of view, the two best guys to deal with as a media person, <laughs> without any question. Maybe that's my headline Al, Al, instead of captains, but yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, guys who are good with the media. Uh, Al Jefferson, people don't know what a leader he was. People have no idea. And CJ was a really nice player, kind of a spot up, I mean, certainly a spot up shooter. Um, but, you, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, Scott, you're naming these names. There are no, except for Paul George, there's no truly elite player. And it really is. You talked about how much they've gotten out of their roster. And again, I think it speaks to the quality of management and the quality of coaching that they've taken guys who are, you know, just good players, not great players, and they've still accomplished quite a bit with uh, with this group, these yeah. groups, really. Yeah, you talked about David West's leadership earlier. Well, he has just a little bit of a different style, right? His was you shut up and listen when he talks, whereas I think Al right. Jefferson is very much more hands-on, but they both are very effective in their way. And then just for the hell of it, I did a head coach, and I gave it to, to Frank Vogel for yes. this year. You only really had two true options, but I think Frank accomplished more in his short time. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And we're finding out that he can not only coach in Indiana, but, man, he's getting it done in L.A. Big swing and misses for me this decade. Monte Ellis, Tyreek Evans, yeah. Yeah. even on a smaller scale, Chase Bunninger. Chase Bunninger? <laughs> what was he here, for 10 minutes? I just hate that they got rid of Damo Rudej for him and he had nothing left. Because I thought Damo, especially with the shooting that this league was turning into, would have been perfect, and then he found his way out of the league. Yeah, I think Chase Bunninger was the Sharunas Yasakevichus of this decade. <laughs> and now he's an outstanding volleyball player in California, I think. So there you well, go. Well, good for him. Good for him. Very good, Kravy. I appreciate you jumping on with me to break down the All-Decades team. Thanks. My pleasure, man. I appreciate you listening to this episode of The Fieldhouse Files. If you want to weigh in on who was rated too high, too low, or was left off altogether, go to my story on The Athletic and leave your thoughts in the comments section. I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving, eats well, and enjoys some time with family or friends. And maybe I'll see you around the Fieldhouse this week. Three games in all, Memphis on Monday, Utah on Wednesday. That means Boyan Bogdanovich, Rudy Gobert, and the debut of the Pacers' new city uniforms. Then Friday, it's Atlanta and Trey Young. And then the Pacers head out on the road for their first five-game road trip of the season. This has been another episode of the Fieldhouse Files, and I'll talk to you again this week.